book of Matthew chapter number 7. I uh, normally, lately anyways, I've had to preach in Spanish in, in Honduras. And, uh, seven, what, 2011, it's been almost eight, over eight years ago, my, my pastor went to Honduras on, on just a discovery, exploratory trip and taught a Bible study to a, a taxi cab driver. In fact, taxi 314 taught him a Bible study, ended up baptizing him and his entire family, came home, and uh, it really is an incredible story. In fact, he, my pastor called me this week, and he and I and Brother Nathaniel Urshan are going to tag team and write the book, the history of how God opened the door into that country. But the taxi cab driver turned into a Bible study, turned into a family, and uh, he came home and asked me if I would consider resigning my job, working for Governor Schwarzenegger, and, and go to a country I'd never been to, to a, visit a people and minister to a people I've never seen before in a language I did not understand. And uh, I, I, I don't know how, I don't know, understand, and I can't quite articulate all the ways of God. I just knew that God was in it. And here we are eight years later, and a few weeks ago, we baptized our 300th person in Jesus' name. We just finished our headquarters church location that can seat 300 people. They're baptizing somebody in Honduras right now. And there is a revival springing up all over that country in Singuatepeque, in Tegucigalpa, in La Ceiba, in Olancho, in Olanchito. This week I got a phone call. I need to go to Guatemala City. I'm just believing there's a Central American revival that's getting ready to burst at the seams. Hallelujah. And I'm just going gonna, gonna to struggle through my broken Spanish. And preach my way through this revival. But I, I'm just glad to be speaking English today. Praise God. I love English. I've never loved English so much. And I love it right now. <laughs> Amen. And uh, I, I'm going to do my best to preach in English. But if I, if I wander off in Spanish, I'll do my best to get back as quickly as possible. Amen. Book of Matthew chapter number 7 and verse number 24. All that to say, normally my Spanish sermons are much shorter than my English sermons. So I'm going to do my best to keep it at my Spanish length tonight. Amen. Because uh, I don't want to be one of your favorite missionaries. I know how to be your favorite, and that's to keep this under 30 minutes. Amen. And I will be number one. Numero uno. Amen. <laughs> Matthew chapter number seven, verse number 24. If you're there, shout amen. amen. If you're in Exodus, you're a long ways from the will of God right now. Verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat upon the house, it fell not, it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house Upon the sand, the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. The juxtaposition of verse 29 is so unique because uh, it was not... It was not a new thing for, for scribes. They, they knew the scribes knew the scriptures. 
from children, they had to memorize the Pentateuch, the Septuagint, the Torah. Memorizing Scripture did not impress these people, evidently, because they knew they, they had teachers that could teach the Word of God. But when Jesus opened his mouth, he sounded unlike any other teacher they'd ever heard, any other scribe they'd ever heard, any other teacher, any other orator they'd ever heard, because he didn't just speak, but he spoke as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. Tonight I'm going to do my best to preach to you about Jesus. But I cannot do it like Jesus can do it. When Jesus stands up and preaches to you, I can preach to you about peace. But Jesus will get in the pulpit and say, I am the peace. I can preach to you about salvation. But Jesus says, I am salvation. I can preach to you about provision. Jesus says, I am provision. I can break the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He speaks. Speaks as one having authority. Because he's the author and the finisher. For just a few minutes tonight, I'm going to move quickly through this as as, as much as I can. I want to talk to you about the rock of my salvation. The rock of my salvation. If you're going to help me preach, why don't you put your hands together one more time as you're seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody say amen. 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 Recently in Honduras, we've, we've done our best to improve our music program. But this is a constant struggle. Because we, we want to sing songs that people know and can identify with and can worship to. We want to be progressive. But I am aware of the dynamics that there is a certain nostalgia that is associated with older music. And I want to please everyone. I do. But most of the time in my endeavor to please everyone, I end up pleasing no one. My, my, our church, I say my church, but it's really our church. It's God's church that we just have the, the, the opportunity to oversee and facilitate Our church is full of a variety of ages and languages and ethnicities and backgrounds. We have native Spanish-speaking islanders who were born on the island and speak English. And then we have native Spanish-speaking islanders who were born on the island but were born and raised speaking Spanish. And then we have people who uh, who have fled the mainland of Honduras. I don't know if you know much about Honduras. Probably all you know is that there was a caravan in Mexico full of Hondurans trying to get into uh, America. In fact, Brother Young went down to Mexico recently and saw a bunch of Mexicans wearing T-shirts that said, uh, Save a whale, shoot a Honduran. And so I I don't don't, uh, normally participate in that, but I know that there is a certain uh, (laughs) feeling towards the, the border right now. But... I I did have people in my church that were in that caravan that did not make it over and came home with a lot less money and far more bruises than they left with. Um, And they left at the discouragement of their pastor, uh, needless to say. But we've, we've got people that are fleeing mainland Honduras, which is the most dangerous country that is not at war in the world. More murders per capita in Honduras than any other country in the world. 
I, I know people that have been driving down the road in Honduras with their watch on the on the 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 the, the, the they've got their window rolled down and on their windowsill they've got their hand laid there with their watch on and in one moment at a red light a machete takes their hand off just for their their watch it's 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 a volatile place it's a violent place and drug cartels and violence and gangs and all sorts of sex trafficking have created a turbulent environment and so they are fleeing the mainland and getting on boats and and taking a boat 40 miles off of the coast to a little caribbean island where where we are building an apostolic church and they are in our church and and they come from a different heritage and a different background and a different way of life and so the obstacle is to merge all of these cultures into a mindset and an appreciation for the kingdom of god and this can be grueling as Jesus often would do, we, we, I've come to realize I have to do. And that's before I can teach people. I have to unteach them before I can teach them. That's why Jesus would say things like, for thou hast heard, I for an eye, but I say unto you. He was telling them, you've heard one thing your entire life, but I've got to teach you a new thing. And what we are endeavoring to do in Honduras is we are endeavoring to to tear out ingrained and entrenched and deeply rooted ideologies. Now, I love tradition. I, I appreciate local ideas and values as long as they never seek to supersede and overstep an appreciation for the kingdom of God and God's culture. Because when you walk in the back doors of First Pentecostal Church in Anderson, you've got to check those ideologies at the back door. When you walk into this church, this is a new culture. You, you, you are a part of something so much greater when you walk into this church. You are not a minority when you walk into this church. You are not a majority when you walk into this church. You are not a victim. You are not a statistic. You are not a Republican. You are not a Democrat. You are not a Libertarian. This is not a black church. This is not a white church. This is an apostolic church. This is the people of God. And that out there is the culture of consuming. But this in here is the culture of giving. That out there is the culture of pride. This in here is a culture of humility. That out there is a culture of selfishness. This in here is a culture of selflessness. I didn't walk in here saying, what can you give me? I walked in here saying, what can I give God? Because this is a new culture that out there is barbaric and vulturous and rapturous this in here is looking for every realistic and unrealistic opportunity to give God something now most of the time we, 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 we say I can't wait to get to church to see what God can give me or what God has for me I wonder what would happen if next Sunday 200 people walked in the back door and said God you don't have to give me another thing the day you gave me the Holy Ghost and I spoke in tongues you gave me everything I'm ever going to need you don't have to give me another thing God I'm going to show up next Sunday and I'm going to give God praise I'm going to give God worship I'm going to give God my life 
I don't want to participate in the culture of consuming. I want to participate in the culture of giving. We are made in the image of God and in his likeness. The Bible says that he gave himself as a ransom for many. And he gave us his only begotten son. And he gave us some apostles and prophets and teachers. If God gave, then we need to show up every service with an attitude of give, to give, to give, to give. Hey, somebody shout give. I came to give. I made up my mind. I came to give. I came to give God praise. I came to give God my life. I came God came to give God a sacrifice of worship. Amen. Because I might have been born in Egypt, but I am not Egyptian. I might be raised in Egypt, but I am not Egyptian. The apostle Paul said of Abraham, Abraham, when he lived here, he was looking for a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. But while he was here, he could find no continuing city. You've got to remind yourself every day, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures I laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And angels beckoned me from heaven's open door. And I cannot feel at home in this world anymore. I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pilgrim. I don't feel comfortable here. I've been engrafted into a new culture. I once was an alien from the commonwealth of Israel. But now I'm a participant. Because I stepped into a new culture. And, and, that, and, and, and so we, we may live in this world, but we are not of this world. Can I take one of these handkerchiefs down here? Are these for anointing people or for wiping sweat? I don't want to desecrate the holy things. Hallelujah. Thank you. I wouldn't mind if it was dirty. Wipe a little of that anointing on me. Praise God. Hallelujah. One of, the, one of the greatest revivals happening in our church right now is a revival of, of disenfranchised, disillusioned, uh, aggravated ex-Church of God saints. I seen a, a little home missions Church of God up the road just a little while ago. Just a little, a little humble thing they've got going down there. <laughs> we, we've got Church of God in Honduras. I don't think it's probably anything like what y'all got here, but it's uh, mostly black islanders, black English-speaking islanders. And uh, they were raised singing old songs. They, they were raised preaching in English, singing in English, and singing Sing Unto the Lord songbook songs. Y'all know anything about that? Sing Unto the Lord songbook songs? I'll be honest, I don't know how they made their way all the way into the Caribbean. Those, you, those things, you can't get rid of those things. Those things aren't even flammable. Those things show up all over the world. You think you got rid of one, and you'll, you'll see five pop up. <laughs> we, we got them everywhere. Now we're going to start reproducing now that I talked about it. Hey, I love songbook songs, all right? So don't, y'all don't, don't hate me. But I just was so surprised that they made their way all the way into the Caribbean, in the bottom of an apple crate or something. They made their way over there. It's reproduced. Well, they, they, they came to our church, and, and they sing old songs. And, uh, and so we wanted to make them happy. And so we tried to sing some of their songs, but most of our church is Spanish. 
And so there's only so many songs in that songbook that you can translate into Spanish pretty easily and make everybody happy. We, so it seems like almost every Sunday we sing, There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. And then we flip it. Hay poder, hay poder, sin igual poder en Jesús que murió. And we make everybody happy when we do that. But you can only do that for so many songs. Before you run out of songs. And, and one of the men in our church, he came up to me recently and he said, Pastor, why don't we sing that old songbook song, Rock of Ages? Y'all know that one? Rock of Ages. Clap for me. <laughs> and uh, I, said, I said, Brother Green, I'll be honest with you. Uh, the reason we don't sing that is because I don't know what a cleft is. And I, I don't know how to translate that into Spanish. And, but it bothered me that I had to tell him I don't know. You know, I've, I'm already behind the eight ball. I'm this young, white, uh, American preacher pastoring all these Spanish-speaking islanders. So they've already got these stigmas. And so I don't like telling people I don't know. You know, in the, in, when, when pastors apply for the job, they have to know the answer to every possible question in the universe. We need to be experts in plumbing and electricians and carpenters. And then we need to be able to balance checkbooks and give you IRS information and advice and marital counseling. And we need to know how rocket ships work. And we need to be, you know, that's the job description of a pastor. And so I don't like saying I don't know because I create doubt in my saints. You know, I'm not qualified. So I went home and I studied Rock of Ages. Boy, I was going to come back with so much information on that, I was going to blow his mind. I came back and I said, Brother Green, that song was written in 1776 by Augustus Toplady and later published in the Gospel Magazine in 1777. It's taken from Exodus chapter 17 and John 19. Do you have any other questions for your pastor? He ain't, he ain't asked me any more questions. <laughs> but, but, but my mind was drawn to this concept, this this rock, this rock of ages, because I realized I, I do ministry on a floating rock. I've got two busloads of people that drive to our church every week from a little community called Crawfish Rock. To get to our church, you've got to, you've got to drive through another village called Lawson Rock. Everywhere I look, I'm surrounded by rocks. When we, when we built our church, we didn't build it out of steel. We didn't build it out of wood. We built it out of concrete. And concrete requires a lot of rocks. Our church is, on the, is right on the beach, right there, oceanfront property. And it took us a while until we found rock bottom. Everywhere I look, I, I see rocks appearing in my life. And, and, and so in our, in our text, in, in, in this concept of rocks, I, I think there is a lesson to be learned from rocks. There's, there is there's truth to be understood when we look at rocks. He says, build your house on the rock. It's a secure place. And when I, when I preach to you tonight about building your life on the rock, I'm preaching to you to build your life on Jesus Christ. I'm telling you to build your family on Jesus Christ. Raise your children on Jesus Christ. Build your marriage on Jesus Christ. Build your prayer life on Jesus Christ. It's a secure 
place. Because there are things to be understood when you investigate the characteristics of a rock. There are things I think that in all of our exposure to the rock, I, I, believe, I believe that every time you walk through a gravel parking lot, you're stepping on little evangelists that are preaching to you a message that if you can understand the strength of these rocks, you can understand the strength of your God. If you can understand the stability of these rocks, you can understand the stability of your God. If you can understand that rocks do not corrode and rocks are not easily moved and rocks are unaffected affected by rain and rocks are unaffected by the wind and rocks are unaffected by the fire then you'll stand with your shoulders squared realizing that nothing can move my God nothing can shake my God nothing can intimidate my God my salvation is a secure place the apostle Paul said for we have this hope as an anchor for our souls this is a secure place because when the rain falls, the rock will still be there. And when the lightning flashes, the rock will still be there. And people come and people go and money comes and money goes. But at the end of it all, there's still a rock standing there that's been unaffected by the fight, that's been unaffected by the tribulation. He is the rock of myself. That's why if you're a young man looking for a spouse, you better look for a young lady and build a marriage on, 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 on and build it on Jesus Christ and not on lust. Because lust will fail you. But when you've built your marriage on the rock of God's word, there's not a storm in your life that can shake your marriage. There's not a tribulation. Bankruptcy can't shake your marriage. Sickness can't shake your marriage. If you build it on the rock of God's word, you better build your, you better believe I'm going to build my life on the rock of God's word. It represents the settled and established nature of our... Who is God? Save our Lord. Who is the rock? Save our... Where do I go when there's nobody else to turn to? Who do I talk to when nobody wants to listen? Who do I lean on when there's no foundations? I go to the rock. I know he's able. I go to the rock. I wish there was about five people who knew what it is to run to the rock of your salvation. Who knows what it is to run to God in times of difficulty. He is a secure place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It wasn't, it wasn't long ago. I was down at the church. Y'all, y'all are so sophisticated around here. Y'all got cameras, moving cameras, cameras up there. Y'all got a choir. Man, this place is awesome. We're not quite this sophisticated in Honduras. Hey, man, we, we do our best, but we've got to create departments and programs to sound more sophisticated. Y'all got media and sound and preachers and choir ministries, Sunday school. We, we have to create them. So I created a shovel ministry. They'll, you know, 
You can, you can get somebody to come down here from headquarters or from wherever and install you a Bible quiz team, a program, do a seminar. You can have a Bible quiz team. Hey, you, you want to bring me back? I'll come install a shovel ministry down here. I'd need about 50 bucks and a Lowe's and some weak-wristed young men. I'll turn them into, I'll turn them into apostolics in about eight hours with shovel ministry. <laughs> I was down at the church participating in shovel ministry one day because I'm the superintendent. I, I didn't have any applications, so I had to take the job. And I was down there working, and one of the young men in our church said, Hey, Pastor, there's somebody up front, and he, he's praying. He's just walking in the front of our church praying. I said, My God, I want to know a praying person. I'm on this island. I feel like I'm the only praying man. I want to meet a praying man. So I cleaned up a little bit, left my shovel where I was. I went down there, and uh, he, there he was praying. He was praying. Hey, you know what? You know what I believe? I believe this ought to be a praying place. I believe there ought not be one day go by that somebody doesn't come down to the church and crawl up under one of these pews and cry and pray and speak in other tongues until you get the victory. There ought not be one day go by that somebody's not down here seeking the face of God for this church. This needs to be a praying church. If your choir fell apart, this still needs to be a praying church. If you couldn't pay the light bill, this still needs to be a praying church. Everything else can fail in this church, but you better not. Never let prayer fail in this church. This needs to be a praying place. Amen. Hey, we'll never get too sophisticated. We don't need to make time to pray. We need to. I, I, it seems like every day, Brother Sinclair, that we've got another reason not to like social media. It seems like every day there's a new reason not to like it. In fact, last, last Friday I had to teach my, my church on some specifics with social media. I had to name some applications that people needed to delete off their phone. I never thought I'd have to do something like that. There's, it seems like there's a new reason not to like social media every day. But I'll tell you one of the reasons I love it is because now your phone tracks how much time you spend on social media. And now you're not going to have a good excuse for your prayerlessness when you get to heaven. Because God's going to say, let me see your phone and I'll see exactly how much time you had. See, you, you're not gonna, your prayerlessness is not going to be because you didn't have enough time. It's going to be because you just did not want to pray. Hey, you need to put your phone down and stop worrying about how everybody else has got a better life than you. And you need to make a better life for yourself by falling on your... Hey, you need to get acquainted with the fine art of falling on your face. Because if you don't fall on your face, God's going to knock you on your back. I told the men in our church, before you go to bed, you need to tuck your shoes so far up underneath your bed. You've got to get on your knees in the morning to get them. You better find time to pray. You better find time to pray. And I don't know if you've even prayed until you speak in other tongues. Hey, don't come down here and just mumble at 5 o'clock in the morning because you ain't had coffee and think you touch God. You better talk in tongues if you, want the, if you want victory in your life. Hey, and I know, I know, I know Christianity, even Pentecost, is intimidated to preach in tongues. Because Christianity around the world has made us believe that talking in tongues is far out there. 
Hey, they've backed Pentecost into a corner and made us feel like we're the weird ones because we talk in tongues. But let me just tell you something. Whether you're Lutheran, Methodist, Seventh-day Adventist, Mormon, Baptist, whatever you are, let's talk about what everybody agrees in. Everybody agrees in the virgin birth. Hey, that's pretty far out there. And you're not scaring people out of the church because of the virgin birth. Hey, we're talking about a 15-year-old girl impregnated by a spirit. Hey, but your Christmas service is full because nobody's got a problem with the nativity. Hey, everybody agrees in the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And nobody's intimidated by the resurrection. That a man from Galilee raised himself after being dead for three days. No, your Easter service is as full as it's ever been. Because you're not running people out of the church because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hey, everybody agrees that one day there's going to be a trumpet blast. And we're going to disappear. That's pretty far out there. That means your clothes are going to be sitting on that pew. Your, your little cavity, that filling, it's going to bounce across this carpet. Your knee replacement is going to be sitting in a puddle right there. Your, your, your stint, your heart stint. Hey, but nobody's got a problem with the rapture because they're making movies about it. It's not emptying the church. People are not afraid of the rapture. We sing every week about a place called heaven with golden streets and pearly gates and mansions. All of us got a mansion up there with, with a, you know, a nest, a nest thermostat and a ring doorbell. Don't be walking up on my mansion. I'll see you before you come. My ring doorbell is going to alert me. You ain't welcome at my mansion. (laughs) I didn't go through all this trouble down on earth for you to come bother me up there. I want some peace and quiet. Hey, but nobody's got trouble with that. You think you're going to scare people away by speaking in other tongues? No, sirree. You're going to get them off of drugs when they speak in... You're going to put their marriage back together when they speak in tongues. It is the power of God unto... It's a gift from God. Why would you not want that? You've been trying to get free of nicotine for 45 years. It's because you've never spoken in tongues. You've been trying to fix your marriage for 50 years. It's because you've never spoken in tongues. You need to speak in other you need to wake up in the morning speaking in tongues you need to walk down the street speaking in other tongues you need to go to sleep speaking in other tongues it is the power of God unto salvation Hey, I'm going to preach this everywhere I go now because there's a spirit creeping into Pentecost trying to discourage us from speaking in other tongues. That's where I get victory. That's where I get victory. That's where I get victory. I spoke in tongues today, and before we leave, I'm going to speak in other tongues again. Somebody shout hallelujah. 
This man was at our church praying. I'm almost done, Brother St. Clair. I promise. I'm not going to be much longer. I'm tired. I'm not going to quit because y'all want me to. I'm, gonna, I'm almost done. I'm wore out. <laughs> this man was at our church praying. I said, man, I want to come introduce myself to you. I, I oversee the work of God here in this church, and uh, I, I wanted me to pray. And man, he said, no, there's no need for you to come over here. I'm done praying. I said, well, brother, if you don't mind telling me, what are you, what are you praying about? He said, well, I'm just praying that God would tear this church down. I said, well, praise God. I said, I, I, I was wishing I still had my shovel. I was going to introduce him to shovel ministry. And I thank God I didn't have it. I said, boy. And I'll be honest, I read the book, Winning Friends and Influencing People. And, uh, and that's not how you do it. And it bothered me because I want everybody to like me. I really do. I know that there's a threshold. I got about 30 minutes for everyone in this room to like me. And if I cross that 30-minute threshold, one, one row after another, they're going to stop liking me. I know that. I'm probably already over it. But I want everybody to like me. I do. It bothered me when I went home. It bothered me when I went to sleep that night. It bothered me while I was getting dressed for church. It bothered me right up until I, I got to service and I seen 25 people walk in the back door of our church I'd never seen before. And I leaned over to one of the brothers in the church. I said, where are these people from? They say, that man that was here praying on Friday, that, the, that he was a pastor next door to us. And, and, and those people used to go to his church, but they said they want to go. And in that moment, I realized you can reject the chief cornerstone, but they did in the word of God, and it doesn't work. You're not fighting against me because this is not my church. This is this is God's church. You can fight God's church. You can spit in our face. You can ridicule our worship. But you're not going to stop God's church. You can burn us at the stake. You can desert us on an island. You can put us in prison. You can stone us in the streets. But you cannot stop God's people. You cannot stop. This is the unstoppable, unshakable, unrelenting, unmovable rock of God's this is not built on my personality. This is not built on my pedigree. This is not built on programs. This is built on the unstoppable rock of God's word. <laughs> Let me tell you exactly what's going to happen. God forbid anything ever happened to Brother St. Clair or his daddy. Or his grandfather. God forbid anything ever happened to them and they had to leave Anderson. But I'm going to tell you exactly what would happen to this church if they ever had to leave. It's going to continue to have revival. People are still going to get the Holy Ghost. People are still going to be baptized. Because this is not built by a man. This is not built by a personality. This is not built by your pocketbook. This is built on the word of God. And what government, what bureaucracy, what demonic stronghold can stop God's people? You cannot stop you can resist God's church, but you cannot stop God's church. You can fight God's people, but you cannot stop God's people. It's built on the chief cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected. 
but you can't move this church. And you can't stop this church. And you can't. Re- hey, they're kicking my saints out of taxis for being baptized in Jesus' name. But we're baptizing them every week. They're making fun. Hey, listen. When we first got to Honduras, they made fun of us. because They said, those people are Jesus only. They said, hey, those are Jesus only people. As if we were insulted by that. I said, you're not insulting me. You're exactly right. I am Jesus. I'm Jesus everything. Whatsoever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all. I'm Jesus only. I'm Jesus everything. I'm Jesus every day, 24 days. Hey, they're kicking us. They're kicking us out. They're keeping us out of the ministry roundtables. They got a they got a pastoral roundtable on the island of all the pastors, and they've excluded me because I wanna I wanna accommodate their tenets and their doctrines. They said, "Well, if you just make a few adjustments, you can be a part of our group." Huh. And they said, "If you would just baptize everybody in in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and Jesus, then you would just make everybody happy." I said, "I'm not in this to please man, and I'm not." Jesus died for me. Jesus was buried for me. Jesus resurrected for me. I'm going down in the name of Jesus. They called us Jesus only. And the other day, I went up to one of those preachers. I said, bro, hey, I want to invite you to the dedication of our new building. We'd love to have you. He said, man, I'd love to come, but I heard that you don't even, you don't even believe in Jesus. I said, when we first got here, we were Jesus only. Now, we're Jesus nothing. I said, buddy, all we do is preach about Jesus. All we do is sing about Jesus. All we do is praise Jesus. You ought to come over there and get full of Jesus and talk in other tongues, and you'll be one of us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody say, the rock of my salvation. Hallelujah. My life is built on this. My hope is built on this. My future is built on this. Hallelujah. You can come to the music. I'm going to quickly close. When, when the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness, they were delivered from Egypt. And they, the Bible says that they went across that sea on dry ground. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, if you've ever seen the, 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 the graphs and the images of the bottom of the Red Sea, you know that it's mostly coral. It might have been dry, but it wasn't smooth. Deliverance was dry, but it wasn't easy. And they made their way across that sea, and they got on the other side, and they looked at Moses, and they said, Mo. We are thirsty. And God, Moses looked up at God. He said, Lord, you delivered us. Now you've got to provide. He said, because if you don't do something, these people are going to rebel against me. They're going to kill me. And God said, I want you to smite the rock. And out of that rock is going to flow rivers of living water. And it's going to nourish these people. Now you know that that rock was a type of Jesus. And the first time Moses was commanded to smite it, Because that was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. 
But the next time God told him to do something with that rock, he said, I want you to speak to the rock. I want you to speak the word over that rock. And Moses didn't obey the word of God. He smote it again, which he was telling God the first crucifixion is not enough. And he ruined the typology of that rock being Jesus Christ. And as a consequence, God said, you cannot go into the promised land. He said, Moses, I've tolerated a lot of things in you. I, I tolerated you slaying the Egyptian out of time. I, I have the, the Bible says that to some prophets, he would speak in dreams and in visions. But to Moses, God would speak face to face. Moses was God's man. When, when Korah rebelled against Moses, the earth swallowed him. When Miriam spoke against Moses, she got leprosy. God, God protected Moses. But he said, Moses, I can't protect you in this moment. You will not go into the promised land because you have not. You have ruined the typology of this rock. Be, the, the smiting of the rock one time being enough. Wow. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was enough. The Bible says that when he was crucified, he bore the iniquity of us all. There is not a sin you can commit that wasn't paid for at Calvary. There's not an iniquity in your life that wasn't paid for at Calvary. The second time, we just speak the word to the rock. We just speak the word and you're healed. We just speak the word. He only had to be crucified once. And if we do it again, well, the Bible says we crucify him afresh. But all of these events transpired. I'm quickly coming to a close. All of these events transpired. It's been, you, you, you look in your Bible and you, you see the, the pages between Exodus and Corinthians. And that does not do it justice. The time that has transpired between Exodus and Corinthians. And Paul writes to the church in Corinth about events that happened generations ago. They've forgotten the provision of God. They've forgotten the word of God. And he says, moreover, brethren, I would not that you would be considered ignorant concerning how that all of our fathers went through the Red Sea. And all of our fathers lived under the cloud. And all of our fathers did eat the same spiritual meat. And all of our fathers did drink the same spiritual drink. And flowed out of the rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Christ doesn't appear until, until Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But what we see is the appearance of Jesus Christ in Exodus where there is a rock following them. And that rock is their salvation. He said, there's a rock that's following you. Even when you were not following Jesus, Jesus was still following you. I wonder if there's anybody in this room right now that knows what it is. There were times in your life where you didn't follow him. But thank God for the rock that was following he follows me through every valley low. He follows me through every mountain high. He follows me. He is the rock that follows me. 
he follows me. He follows me through difficulties. He follows me through. If you looked over your shoulder in your life and you, you, you looked over the course of your life, you would be reminded of times where you didn't know how God made a way, but there was a rock that was. It was a rock. God follows you. I'm pursuing him now, but there have been times where God was pursuing me. He followed me. He followed me through difficulties. He followed me through intersections. He followed me through bankruptcy court. He followed me because he is the rock. That follows. Now, I've, I've never seen a rock grow legs, but he's not just any old rock. He's the rock of my salvation. St. Clair, he follows me. He follows me. He follows me. Oh, come The Bible tells us the prophet Hosea was commanded by God to marry a woman named Gomer who would not be faithful. He said, why am I going to do this? He said, because you are going to represent my relationship with the children of Israel who are unfaithful to me, but I still pursue them. And, and Hosea marries Gomer. She's faithful for a little while, but she makes her way to the city. And she's unfaithful, but that prophet keeps taking her back. Time and time again, Hosea follows her into that city and brings her home. Finally, the last time she goes to that city, he finds her worn out, abused, neglected, and she's on a slave's lot. She used to be beautiful, but now nobody wants her. And Hosea sees his bride up there, and he says, I'll take her. Nobody wants to buy her, but I'll take her. I'll buy her back at full price because he is the God that follows me. He follows me through He follows me through disobedience, but thank God he follows me. He follows me when I'm unfaithful, but thank God he follows I wonder if there's anybody on a Sunday night that can stand on your feet right now and lift your hands where you are and say thank God. Thank God for the rock 